Hi, this is Underground Confidence with Shelley Treacher. Today I'll be talking about how to cope with grief. But first, I want to deal with a very common question that I receive. As you can imagine, one of the questions I get more often is how to stop eating when in a craving. It's good to educate yourself on what a craving is. You can hear about that in one of my last podcasts. But to answer that question this week, as there are many answers to this question, again, you can see all of those in all of my podcasts. Here's a recording of a tip I gave a couple of weeks ago in my Facebook group and on my Instagram page about becoming aware of the tone of voice of your craving. I want to tell you something I've just noticed in case it's helpful. So you know that I have a bit of a chocolate addiction and so I've just done a bar exercise class and feeling really good. I'm like, yeah, I've got the rest of the weekend to do whatever I want. And then I suddenly thought, I've got a little bit of that no sugar chocolate left. And then the thing I want to tell you about is the voice that I heard in my head. And it's not, it's, it's not just what it said, but it's the actual tone of the voice. So in my head, I heard, shall we have it? <laughs> It's really like, let's have it, let's have that chocolate, we could just have it. It was really like that. And I thought, that's really interesting. I've never noticed that it has that tone of voice. And I wondered if that's useful for you to think about the tone of voice that your um, childish demands have. Because once I'd noticed that, I thought, well, (laughs) I'm not responding to that. (laughs) I hope that's helpful. Now let's talk about grief. It's clear that grief is one of the greater challenges for so many of us during the pandemic. There have been so many losses, from the everyday losses in our lives and livelihood to the shocking loss and often horrific death of loved ones related or unrelated to the pandemic. We've all got stories of loss from the last 20 months. Mm. These are the ones that stick in my mind the most. The first one is my best friend lost her husband to cancer just before the pandemic. As you can imagine, she was already traumatised and devastated. And then the pandemic happened. It's not been easy for her and I know that she's still struggling. So I'm actually going to dedicate today's podcast to her in the hope, oh, and I'm getting slightly emotional, that some of this might help her and help you if you're in the same position. The second story that sticks in my mind is quite early on. I, you know that I'm a salsa dancer. One of my salsa teachers lost his brother and his father within a very short space of time at the beginning of the pandemic. That was horrifically shocking to me and brought home the fact that this is a deadly virus or has been. I'm sure you have similar stories and I would love to hear them. I'm going to be putting a post out on Facebook for you to express how you feel and what stories you've had to cope with. So please check that out. The difficult thing about grief is that in our stiff upper lip patriarchal society culture, at least in the UK, we don't talk about grief. We don't know how to. But loss is a part of each of our lives. It's another thing that we cannot escape. 
It's natural and normal to feel pain when someone we love dies. For a long, long time. But society tries to offer us solutions on how to fix this unfixable pain. Grief is this overwhelming experience that tends to put everything else in perspective. I remember when my mother died, one of the things that I had to cope with amongst so many was telling other relatives and other friends that she died. This was a horrible task that I really didn't want to face, but I did it without anxiety. I just did it. And I faced some conflict with other relatives I have a great aunt who has always been quite critical of me. And somehow I became the adult who was more powerful than I had previously felt. I felt like a child with her before. But in this conversation, I could see her vulnerability. She was upset by my mother dying. And I could see all the ways that she acted out and her patterns of behaviour. It really just put any anxiety and childish inner insecurity to rest for me. So loss can be very surprising. I remember this weird experience of joining a new level of existence when my mother died. It's like I joined a club of people who understand and those who don't. It's palpable, the experience of a close death, because your world suddenly and irrevocably changes. And you can see that in other people. You can see, or I could see, that other people experienced this too. And some didn't. Not yet, anyway. We often feel shame in grief. It's ingrained that we think we should be over anything after a couple of months. We've all heard of Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. These were meant to validate any feelings. But we see them as a format for grief. It's just not like that. Grief is a process that may be exhausting. Grief is pain that comes in waves, most likely bigger and longer lasting waves, the closer to the death and the closer the person who died. What's really needed is to create the space to handle or to not handle it. It's something that needs to be nurtured and allowed, whatever it may throw up. I know to many people listening, that will either sound like a relief or completely impossible. And I'm not suggesting that you need to go straight into feeling the pain as soon as your loved one dies. Lord knows I didn't. I sat and watched TV, ate crisps, drank wine for three weeks while I didn't work. I had three weeks off work. Then I felt a little bit too toxic in my body. My body can't handle too much of this stuff. So... And because of my profession, I knew I had to make space for my pain. It was so tough. And the timing when you do this is completely personal. I moved through feeling that there was no meaning to life to finding a reason to get up. This might have been the toughest thing that I've ever been through, actually. There was a point when I realised that I just didn't feel like there was a reason to get up. And rather than try and find ways or reasons to get up because of my training, I knew I had to just go with that and see what happened. And there was a very tiny part of me that trusted I would find a way through and that something would change. And it did. I did one day feel that the reason to get up was because I had connection and love with other people. That's what gave me meaning in life. And that's still what gives me meaning in life. 
It's something that I develop every day. My point here is that I went with it rather than tried to get out or to fix it. How we each cope is unique to all of us. But generally, we find it difficult to listen to or to know how to cope with grief because it's painful to really hear it. I've spent decades listening to people's pain and allowing that in my body and in my experience. I enjoy doing that. (laughs) It might sound sadistic, but it is something that I get a lot of pleasure from because I know how rewarding it is for me and for the other person. But there are times when I can't hear it and when I find it so painful, like if someone I love, like my goddaughter, if she's going through something excruciating, I would like to just hold her and squash it. That's a natural instinct, but it's not going to help her. What happens when we try to think about grief or to cope with grief is we go into our brains looking for a solution of how to fix it, how to move beyond it. But we need our limbic system or our peripheral nervous system. We need to experience it without stopping it or holding it back. Grief is visceral. We need to allow the experience because it's real. And this is the kindest thing that you can do about that. Not because you'll get over it or make it better, but because denying it isn't really what we want either. I often hear my clients say that it's infuriating when people deny or won't talk about the person who's died. My experience is that people often welcome the opportunity to talk about that person. Not by being forced to talk about them, but by having the opportunity. So tell your stories of the grief, if not to others, to yourself in writing. It's not that you move through it. It's more that you learn to hold it and to be kind enough to yourself that you can. In grief, you don't have to move on. You can hold the love and grief and still exist in the world. You don't have to choose between them. Allowing it changes everything. You might see the world differently. Your relationships might be different. They might become more open or unfold. When you feel you can't let go, let that be okay. People will tell you to let go. I had an experience when I lost a cat once. I was so sad about losing my cat. She was my very dear companion for a very long time. And I had a shiatsu to try and balance how I felt about it. And the woman, the first thing she said was, you've got to let go. You're holding on to the cat's spirit. (laughs) I'm not sure whether I believe that or not, but it infuriated me to hear that. I knew that I couldn't let go. And then I felt guilty and anxious that I was holding on to my cat and causing her distress. So my advice to you is not to let go until you're ready. Let go when you're ready to. It's completely unique and up to you. No one can tell you when the right time to do that is. I actually held on to a lot of my mum's possessions for well over a year in my kitchen. I had quite a large space in my kitchen, which wasn't really doing anything. I just had all this bric-a-brac and stuff on the floor. And my excuse was I was pretending to think about selling it or make it useful to somebody. But really, I just couldn't let go. I needed to have those pieces of my mother because it's all I had. So let go when you're ready. 
It takes time. If you're in early grief, if it hasn't been long since you lost someone dear to you, you may not be able to focus on the pain or the feelings that you have. So just focus on the mundane. Turn your attention to the everyday tasks that I know you don't want to do. But really, if you can't do anything, focus on your physical self-care. You may not want to do this either. So be realistic with yourself and give yourself permission to just have very small wins. It's like time has slowed down when you lose someone important to you. So if you manage to have a wash that day, that's a win. If you manage to eat a meal, that's a win. Any small win is progress. And that's all you have to do. Take it one step at a time, much more slowly than you would expect yourself to do or that you think everybody else wants you to do. Often lying behind some of the grief and the pain of grief is the fear of not coping alone. I know I hear from a lot of clients that they're afraid of what will happen when they lose their parents or some talk about what would happen if they lose their partner and I know that behind this might be a fear of coping alone. My profession helped me with this one because I knew I had to go through feeling. It would have been very different if I'd been younger. I was 40 when my mother died. Some say that's quite young and she was quite young. She was 73. I think that's young. But it's also old enough for me to be able to cope. I knew I had to go through those feelings. I knew I had that coping skill. Ten years earlier, I'm not sure I would have done it in the same way. I think I would have been much more of a mess for much longer. Often also, we feel self-blame or guilt towards the one who died. But you could not have done life any differently. I found out that my family have a saying. I actually found this out at 2am after my mother's death. My aunt said, don't blame yourself. We've all got a PhD in hindsight. And it's true. You just don't know that this is going to happen, so you're not going to behave any differently. You have to learn to forgive yourself for anything that you did or didn't do. When you feel bad about what or who you are and what you've done, that's where the real depression comes, I think. Another thing that often happens around death is conflict. This often happens in families or in friendships. Sometimes friendships change a lot as a result of a death. Because we come into contact with and remind each other of our pain, which we don't necessarily have the skills to cope with. So many of us might be acting in our worst behaviours. Blame is a way to avoid pain. People may blame us for our misfortune because They or we can imagine how awful this might be and we don't want to. Irritation is a sign that you need self-care. So assess which situations make you feel better and which ones make you feel worse. It's okay to cherry pick. Other things you might experience are insomnia, agoraphobia, memory loss or anxiety. And of course, your food and your nutrition intake and your nourishment are probably going to be affected. Some people stop eating altogether, in which case it's a really good idea to have quick, easy things that are healthy for you lying around the house or in the kitchen, like protein shakes. I found those much more palatable than actual food. 
when I couldn't eat when my mother died. And of course, you might overeat at this time. You might comfort eat because of all those difficult, painful waves of feeling. I did eat junk food. Once I'd got over the initial couldn't eat food, I ate a lot of junk. I think this kind of has to be okay, much more okay than usual, but all the more reason to introduce self-care and kindness in just slowly, gradually understanding what's behind the comfort eating. Another thing that we often have to deal with are occasions and anniversaries. I'm going to give you a quote here from Lynn Reed. Because grief is hidden and we carry it within us, it is tempting to become reclusive and stay in bed over the holiday season. A lot of evidence shows that exercise can stave off sadness or depression. It's good to get out for a walk, if only for 10 minutes. Then it may be possible to go to the pictures or visit a friend. If we can stick to a plan, there may be a few glimmers of enjoyment during this painful season. Some light in the darkness. I know that sounds impossible to some of you, but the point is that one small win, one small doing something different that might be good for you, often leads you to be able to cope with other things for longer. For me, once my mum died, I needed to spend time with other people on Christmas Day, and luckily I had friends, many friends, who offered a Christmas place for me. And then there was a time about three or four years in when I actually wanted to stay home on my own. I wanted to honour the memory of my mother and to think about spending Christmas with her. Christmas was amazing with my mother. She was so much fun. She used to make me laugh and we just had such a lovely relaxed day, just me and her. And so I love to remember this. And that particular day was one of my best Christmases ever. By a few years in, I was able to remember the good memories rather than just have shocking waves of pain. I still had pain, but it felt like an honour to remember her. I just want to mention trauma and anxiety here, because often grief and loss happened in a traumatic way and caused you a lot of stress. And so the consequence might be feeling stressed for a very long time. In which case, I'd advise you to go back and look at some of the podcasts I've done around trauma and anxiety to do some of the polyvagal exercises to bring your system down. That's what it needs. It needs to come out of being hypervigilant. You might, for example, feel if, if something tragic happened, you might now be on the lookout for something tragic happening and your brain might be wired to see this wherever you go. Your brain thinks it's protecting you by being aware of what might happen, but the opposite is true. It's not protecting you at all. It's just keeping you in the really stressed state and probably making you ill eventually. So breathing and polyvagal exercises and anything that calms your nervous system is a really important thing to practice right now. But also know that you're normal for having this experience. I know you don't want to do the exercises, but they will help. Our sense of safety is internal. Grief brings up other grief. So even if you're listening to this and you haven't experienced a big loss in the last couple of years, you might feel triggered into remembering the grief that you carry. There are many losses. I just want to mention here the grief of being single. If you've been single for a while now, what you might be experiencing is grief. 
The grief of not having a partner to share your life with. The grief of not being seen or heard at the end of each day. Or the grief of not being able to practice all these new relationship skills that you're learning with somebody else. Here I just wanted to normalise that for you if this is you. Yes, some of what you're feeling might be reliving trauma of abandonment and rejection. But it's also normal to feel sad about being single. Part of how you feel about this might be your self-critic. You might be giving yourself a hard time for feeling sad about being single. So be kind. This grief is every bit as valid as losing someone special to you. Grief is love. And love can be so hard in life, whether we're in a partnership or on our own. Some of us have nowhere to put that love when we're in grief. Loving means losing each other. Understanding, compassion, validation are a way through the pain. Find a way to live with grief. I went through meaninglessness and stayed with it and found meaning. My life changed entirely as a result of that. Life may change entirely as a result of grief. It doesn't have to be better as is often implied by society, but grief can help us reevaluate our lives. For me, I reevaluated my career entirely when my mother died, and that's actually what led me to the path I'm on today. I was doing too many jobs at once when my mother died, not really believing that I could be a successful therapist. When my mother died, I changed my mind on that. It was important to me. I wanted to be a successful therapist and I enjoyed the connections that I made through being a therapist. So I put my heart and soul into becoming successful and I did. So I'm really grateful for that. I can't say I'll ever be grateful for losing my mother, but something interesting came out of it. And I know my mother would be so proud of me. It may be that your life was deep and happy before your loss in which case it's just different now. So here I'm going to lead you through an exercise. I'm actually stealing this from a client. I have the absolute privilege of working with some gorgeous therapists and one of them recommended this and did it for herself in one of my sessions. So light a candle for yourself or imagine that you're lighting a candle for yourself. Take your time over lighting and ceremoniously seeing that light come on. This light is for you. This light is for your pain. This light is for your grief. And say to yourself, I light this candle for my grief. It's purely for the sake of holding your grief and honouring it. If this feels impossibly frightening, ask your pain What would it need to feel safe enough to come out? I'm going to end on a brief quote by Megan Devine, whose book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, I'd highly recommend. I've used this book for this podcast. It's a really beautiful book. She says, I want you to be heard. Some things cannot be fixed. They can only be carried. Thank you for listening today. If you want to be heard, please access any of the free Facebook groups that I've got and check out what my latest program is. We're all about getting you heard. Loss and grief are a huge part of what makes us overeat and also a huge part of being single. 
So both of my programs, which are actually open right now, are going to help you address some of this pain. Next week, I'm going to be talking about something dear to my heart. I'm going to be talking about the menopause. Thank you for listening today. I'll look forward to hearing your comments and questions if you have any. This is Shelley Treacher from Underground Confidence. I'll see you on Wednesday.